welcome to another sermon podcast from Valley Forth Church. We are a church in Spokane Valley, Washington, and are dedicated to the mission of making, teaching, and sending disciples to the glory of God. If you like this podcast, please subscribe on Apple iTunes, Sermon Audio, or wherever you find your podcasts. Also, check out our YouTube channel for additional content at youtube.com slash Church. Now, here is a message from Pastor Joe Hirsch. Uh, as I talk about the church today, I just wanted to take a few moments. We really don't have the length of time that I need to open a passage for you. And, uh, and yet, I do think we've got time, and not for an expositional message, which is what I usually do, but we're going to do something known as a topical message. We're going to take a number of different scriptures, and we're going to talk about how the true church is the only place where God creates true change, but he does change lives in the true church. What you saw and heard today are examples of that. The baptisms that we saw, the Christian growth in families that we saw, the the leadership in homes that we heard from, from these dads, the blossoming of faith in the hearts of these young ones, the the unity of family, all created because of the environment of the local church. And of course, the life stories that we heard about today. The ministry that we heard from today was founded because of the gospel, and that ministry is supported by local churches like ours. And so for years now, in a way, we've been part of the stories that you heard about. So life change and the true church go together. And I wanted to take a few minutes, based on what we've seen today, in and talk about how this life change that you've seen is only possible in the true church. If there were no church of Jesus Christ in places like these, among people like us, there would be no change like you witnessed today. There would be no people coming out of eternal darkness and moving into eternal life. There'd be no stories like these, and quite frankly, as I think about him just now, Carlos. Carlos who's now in heaven came to our ministry five years ago and really didn't have assurance of salvation and really didn't quite know all the riches of what it means to know Christ. But as the word of God was opened and as relationships were built, the deepening of the word of God gave him assurance of salvation and deepened him in his love of the gospel and broadened him into a a great heart to love the Bible. Many of you know that. In fact, some of you men, and you know who you are, were led to come alongside Carlos, and you made a special difference in his life and in his walk and, and made it easier for Carlos to experience what he did in terms of his illness and to look forward to heaven. How many times I remember how much Carlos just wanted to taste the joy of heaven. And now that's his It's a beautiful, beautiful thing to see the truth of the Word of God flower in a life. That only happens in the church of Jesus Christ. So I want to bring you a special message today about the church and about really two things among the many reasons that that motivate me to be involved with the church and to have the greatest hope for the church. The church, as I've told you many times, this church, any local Bible teaching church, is the only entity on the planet that is supernaturally opposed. 
Gospel-powered biblical ministries are the only efforts on the planet that are supernaturally opposed. The enemy is happy to let every, every other blinded thing stay blinded and stay prosperous. But gospel-powered Bible-teaching ministry is supernaturally opposed. I think we all understand that. And yet the church continues on through her failures and her weaknesses. And we have our failures in this church and our weaknesses. But we continue on, powered by that gospel and committed to that teaching. And that makes the church a special place. You know, I was raised, my family was rather unique. Uh, I was raised to despise the church. It wasn't just an indifferent family. It was an anti-faith family, as some of you know. But having come to Christ and then being called into the ministry for over 30 years now, I've been devoted to the church with all the highs and lows, the pain and the power. And that's the spirit of God in my life as a pastor. But you, through all the years that you've been involved here, have still remained devoted to the church through all the pain, but also seeing God's power at work. We're committed to her because we see certain things that only are done by God in the church. I'm just going to cover two of them that that empower me to keep staying at it. And I hope empower you to keep being a part of what we do. Two things that you can only find in the true church. Now, what you're going to hear is not new from me in the sense I have spoken on dimensions of this in the past because, as Peter said in 1 Peter, it, it, it does me well to continually remind you of these things. And as a Bible teacher, I've touched on these things in my discipleship of you, but they form things that I continue to go back to in my own life as to why I'm here. Two things that the true church and only the true church can be a place where God does The first is really, it's the only place on the planet where you can be personally and powerfully transformed by the Spirit of God. You'll see it in words behind me. How do I put that into a sentence? The true church is the only place where the Holy Spirit powerfully and progressively transforms people into greater likeness to Jesus. It is the only place where God, through the Holy Spirit, progressively transforms people into greater likeness to Jesus. Now, I wrote that language very carefully. The true church, the gospel-powered Bible-teaching church. There's lots of churches that bear the name but don't bear the truth. So gospel-powered Bible-teaching churches are the place where the Holy Spirit powerfully and progressively transforms people into greater likeness to Jesus. The word powerfully is intentional because it takes the power of God to change a a broken human life. It took the power of God to bring you out of darkness to light. Ephesians 2.17, we touched on that in the beginning. It takes the power of God to build you up as a man or a woman of God in the household of God to make you more like Jesus Christ. Uh, You've probably admitted by now, if you've been married for any length of time or if you work with people, that human change is really slow. Wives are going, yes. (laughs) Men are going, what? what (laughs) Human change is as a slow boat, isn't it? I mean, an illustration of that is just think back to what you experienced when you went to a 20-year high school reunion. What did you go go away thinking? Wow. A lot of these folks are just about they were in high, the way they were in high school. They're just 30 pounds heavier and a little grayer. That's it. 
Human change is glacial at times. And it's only possible supernaturally in the spiritual realm by the Spirit of God bringing new life, regenerating your heart, bringing you into the body of Christ, but then discipling you and moving you forward. So when I use the word powerfully, I was intentional. It takes God's power through God's truth to change a person into the likeness of Jesus. We don't work this out on our own. The other other word is progressively. And by that I mean that God changes us over life into a progressive likeness to his son. Translation, Christian change is never done until, like Carlos, you step into heaven and the final working happens. God isn't interested in a little bit of change in your life to get you respectable. He isn't interested in a little knowledge of the Bible so you can get through a men's group. He is not interested in partial change to where your marriage is civil instead of fruitful. He's interested in ongoing change. And as David read to us in our hearing, he wants you to go from one degree of glory to another, representing and looking like the Lord Jesus Christ. That only happens in the true church. Now, how does that happen in the church? Now, this is what theologians call the doctrine of sanctification. I've talked about the the, the four elements of it a couple of times in my preaching because this is what I look for in the lives of people all the time. How do people grow? How do people powerfully and progressively become transformed into greater likeness to Jesus? Very quickly, there are the four things, and you're familiar with them. It starts with the Word of God. This is very important in our Christian society. A good portion of us thinks it starts with an experience of God. That's not true. It starts with the truth, the word of God. First Corinthians chapter two talks about the fact that there is only one truth source inspired by the spirit and used by the spirit. In second Corinthians, Paul was battling a lot of believers or Christians who had all kinds of revelations and other experiences that they claimed were from God. And as Paul battled that, he said, no, we are apostles, he and the others that were with him. And God is speaking to us by the spirit. And we are teaching to you the words taught by the spirit. And Paul knew, I think that later on, that would all be what we call inscripturated and put into the new Testament. So 1 Corinthians 2 is about what the Word of God is. Go down in 1 Corinthians 2 to verse 13. He says, And we impart this in words not taught by human wisdom, but taught by the Spirit, capital S. Where did the Bible come from? The apostles and others who wrote it were moved on by the Holy Spirit, according to the apostle Peter, and the Holy Spirit taught them the word of God, the truth of God, and they taught it to the church, and it was written down and captured in your Bible. So now your Bible is what verse 13 talks about. He said, we impart this in words not taught by human wisdom, but taught by the Spirit, interpreting spiritual truths to those who are spiritual. Last phrase means the Bible doesn't make any sense to you until you receive the Holy Spirit. You become a new person. You're born again. And then like in my life, it goes from confusing uh, pixels on a page to, wow, I understand Christ now. I see God and every page brings discovery. So the first part of sanctification or transformation is you're living in the word of God. It starts with the word of God. The second, it, it, it follows as you submit to that word by as a child of God. So you start, holiness starts with the word of God 
And then you submit to that truth as a child of God. It starts with the word of God submitted to by the child of God. In other words, you can know a lot of Bible, but if you haven't taken your will and made it submissive to what God is speaking to you about right now in his word, you're just, you're kind of like an historian. You're kind of like a person that reads for facts, not for change. But God doesn't give you that freedom. In Ephesians chapter five, he says, don't get drunk with wine for that is debauchery, but be filled with the spirit addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart. Notice a connection there. There's the spirit with a capital S again. And when you are filled with the spirit, you're also filled with the psalms. What is that? That's spiritual truth. It's the word of God as it's taught you. The Bible teaches, by the way, that if you're filled with the spirit of of God, you're going to be filled with the word of God. It also teaches that if you're filled with the word of God, you are filled with the spirit of God. Again, a lot of people don't understand that today. They think Holy Spirit must mean experience. No, the Bible says the Holy Spirit is connected to the truth, the word of God. In fact, if you are filled with the Holy Spirit, the Word of God is going to fill your life. And in the same way, if you're filled with the Word of God, you're going to be filled with the Holy Spirit because they work together. Colossians chapter 3, verse 16. Let the Word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual psalms with thankfulness in your hearts to God. That sounds familiar because it is, because it's a mirror image of Ephesians 5. Ephesians 5 says, if you're filled with the Spirit, you're going to be filled with psalms and hymns and spiritual songs of thanksgiving. Colossians 3 says, if you're filled with the Bible, you're going to be filled with psalms and spiritual songs of thanksgiving. Can you see how they both are the same? The Spirit of God works through the truth of God, and the truth of God unleashes the Spirit of God in your life. I wish you could do more, but no time. Keep going here, Joe. (laughs) So how do people change? I'm telling you, this has been what keeps me in ministry, and this is what I'm trying to build in my ministry. It starts with the Word of God submitted to by the child of God. You obey the Word. You come under it. You praise God for it. You begin to let it control your decisions and your outlook. Number three, who grows in the character of God. What happens then when the Word of God moves into your heart? You begin to obey it and put your heart and mind under it, and you say, I want to reflect this Word, Lord. I want to praise you and obey you. What happens to you? You start to show out the character of God, Galatians chapter 5. But the fruit of the Spirit, there he is again, capital S. In other words, what does the Spirit do in somebody's life when he's in control and when the Word of God is in their heart? If you are experiencing the fruit of the Spirit, you will experience love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Remember I talked about progressively growing into the image of Jesus? That's what it's all about. So you're going to demonstrate more of the character of God. You look at that list, people tell me, I wish the Lord would visit me personally. I wish I could see him in person. Go to Galatians chapter 5, and there he is. Who do you become like when the word of God dominates your soul? Jesus Christ. So it starts with the word of God submitted to by the child of God who grows in the character of God, begins to work itself out. And here's the last, in increasing measure. Remember I said God's not satisfied with partial growth. He's going for ultimate growth. In increasing measure to the glory of God. And that's what David read in our hearing, 2 Corinthians 3.18. And we all, with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord. How do you do that? Partially through the revelation of the word of God. 
which Paul says is from the Spirit. It reveals who God is. You see him in greater glory all the time, in greater levels. And when you see him more for who he is, you become more like him as you are. You're being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. The image of who? The Lord Jesus Christ. From one degree of glory to another, one place of growth needed in your life to another, one dimension of knowledge needed in your life to another, one place of discipline needed in your life to another, one place of relational healing in your life to another, and it goes on and on. That's Christian growth. That's what I see in people, and that's what I'm committed to being involved in the church, and the church is the only place where all those factors come together in a body of accountability. The the local church is unique in that. So what change is only possible in the true church? Well, it's the only place where the Spirit powerfully and progressively transforms people into greater likeness to Jesus. Here's the last question on this. Why does that matter to you? (coughs) Two things. It means in a a biblical church, you really can't expect to grow (laughs) in victory privately, and an impact personally. You don't come to church just because you're supposed to come to church. Hopefully, you're involved in church so that you can become more like Christ. You come intentionally, and you, you can expect the Spirit of God to, to change you through the Word as it's open and through discipleship as it's applied. Secondly, it means in a biblical church that you really can't expect the Spirit, capital S, to do amazing things. Now we hear again about some of these things in the signs and wonders dimension. That's really not very amazing to me because I'm a student of the human soul. I know the greatest miracle is not some buzzing moment, but true change in a darkened heart. True growth in a struggling believer. True assurance in a dark time. Who does that? The Holy Spirit. In fact, I've seen him do it more in my ministry in the last 20 years than I saw him do in the first 15. The first 15, I was more committed to preaching content and scholarship in my own strength with whatever gifting I supposedly had. And I really didn't understand that true preaching comes when you take who you are and what you have, you open the Word of God for what it is, and you begin to ask him and all that who he is to come down on your preaching. God had to teach me through some very hard and breaking lessons that I was preaching out of human strength and not expecting him to move in preaching. But when I came back into ministry, and those of you know, I I stepped out of ministry for quite a while. But when he called me back, I came back with that burden. It was as if he was speaking to me through the word of God, saying, I want you to go back and feed my sheep. But this time I want you to go back in my strength, not yours. And I want you to trust me to work through my word. You take what you have and then look for me. Preaching's never been the same. And the fruit has never been the same. It's been much greater. So the true church, it's the place where you can believe that true change happens. That's why one of our values here at Valley Forth is we believe in spirit-transformed lives. That's why these decisions you saw on the platform are part of the whole experience of the Word of God, changing families, changing dads, strengthening moms, enlightening kids, and being supported by the body of Christ. Okay, there's the first one. 
Here's the second of many reasons why I keep staying committed to the church and because a second reason why the true church is the only place where true change happens. Here it is. It's it's the only place on the planet where you can be personally and personally powerfully connected to the people of God. Personally and powerfully connected. Let me put that in a phrase. You'll see it behind me. The true church is the only gathering of people who are personally connected to Jesus and to one another. You can be a Christian somewhere else, at some other place, in a ministry organization, in a parachurch place, or in some gathering of people, or at a Christian concert, or maybe in a a study at your workplace. But my friend, the body of Christ, the gathered local church, is the only place where God has designed ultimate connection for you. The only place. Now, how does this play itself out? Well, it revolves around the concept of covenant. And I'm going to get, get through this very quickly. I know we're running for time. The church of Jesus Christ, this church, is made up of a group of people who are unified by a covenant. What's a covenant? It's a Bible word for agreement or commitment. And there are two covenants that govern us as members of the body of Christ. The first is a covenant with Christ to save. In other words, Jesus committed to draw us to himself and put us into the body of Christ. We are united in truth because the Bible says that Jesus made a covenant with us. More properly, God the Father made a covenant with God the Son, according to Ephesians 1, before the foundation of the world. He said, son, out of this broken, wrecked, sin-rebelling world, I want to draw out a people, and I want them to be yours, son. I want to draw out a people. I want to save people. It's going to happen through your death, my son, and your resurrection on that cross, but we're going to go a saving into this lost world. And our salvation commitment is a covenant, the Bible says. Jesus talked about it on his last night on earth when he took up the cup of what would later become communion. And it says in Luke twenty two twenty, and likewise the cup after they had eaten, saying, this cup that is poured out for you is the new covenant in my blood. One of the things he was saying there is that he was going to buy them on that cross through the shedding of his blood in the next day. And a covenant was, God will agree, if you trust in Christ as his son and come under the blood of Christ's sacrifice, God makes a covenant to you. He will not hold your sins against you, past, present, or future any longer, but he will welcome you into heaven and into eternity. He will come and indwell your heart through the Holy Spirit, and he will progressively make you more like his son until then. That's a promise that God makes to you. And that covenant is one way. In other words, God makes it to you, and he will fulfill it in your life. Now, why do I bring that up? I bring it up because the true church is made up of people who are all joined by that one experience. The reason you ought to be here is not because you wanted to add church to your life. The reason you want to be here is not because your family has always gone here and you're just following in the train so you don't feel awkward. The reason you should be here is is none of those superficial things. You should be here because you've experienced the salvation of God through Christ. And you share that with all of us so that we all share in a covenant together. We all share in what Jesus Christ did for us. That identifies us. We're not church people. We're Christ's people. 
It's a covenant that we all have experienced. We've all heard the gospel of the death and resurrection of Jesus. We've all repented of our sins. We've all embraced Jesus Christ by faith. We've all received forgiveness for our sins, and we've all received the Holy Spirit, and we've been brought into the church of Jesus Christ. You don't go to a church. He puts you into the church, and you hang out at the church because this is now who you are. You're a covenant partner with everybody else who now knows Jesus, and and two signs of that covenant are part of what only the church can do. One of them is communion. I've often described that as the gospel in two hands. And it's every time you take communion in the gathered body of believers, you are continuing to affirm that you believe and are held by the death of Jesus Christ. There's another one, though. Another sign that you're part of the covenant. Baptism. Young or old, when you're baptized, you're proclaiming that you've entered into a relationship with Jesus. So church is not something you do or a place you go. It's a people you're a part of because we're all part of this great salvation experience. That's why if if you're here and you're simply interested in Jesus, we welcome you, but that's not enough. This may step on some toes. Get ready. If we had any more warning, there it is. If you're here and you're exploring Jesus, we think that's wonderful, but that's not enough of what God wants in your life. If you're here just simply because you're attracted to Jesus, you kind of like the music and it's a nicer class of people, that's great, but that's not where we want you to go. If you're just enjoying Jesus and finding principles in your life that make life a little easier, that's great, but that's not the farthest we want you to go. We want you to be joined to Jesus Christ. We want you to find him in the truth of salvation. So there's one big covenant that we want you to be in. Here's the second, and it's a covenant to serve each other. This is a covenant we make with each other. It's person to person. We're not talking about something God does. Now this is what he wants us to do with each other. I don't have the time to go to the text that I wanted, but where do you find this? In all the one another's of the New Testament. All the listing of our various ministries to each other. That's where God has this. Now, I'll wrap it up with why does this second idea matter to you? Why does it matter that the true church is the only gathering of people who are personally connected to Jesus and to one another? Why does it matter that there's a connection here that you can't get anywhere else? Three things and I close. Number one, it means you can't really be part of the church unless you're first of all in Christ. Now, guess where another, that's another toe-stepper. You can't really be part of the church unless you're first of all in Christ. And you know, pastors in my generation have downplayed that, and I apologize for us. We've kind of made church into an entity that people can be, they can go to, but they're not part of. Because we've kind of got into counting nickels and noses, <laughs> It's distressing that every time you go to a pastor's meeting, after a few minutes, the second question is always, so how many people are coming to your church? That should never be the question we ask ourselves as pastors. How many people are growing in Christ in your church? Are you seeing transformation? No, we want you, you know, too many people are going to what we organize instead of being part of what he is all about. They're truly saved. Secondly, it means that if you're in Christ... You should want to be in church. And this is kind of interesting. You wouldn't think I'd have to say that, but there are so many Christians out there who are disconnected from the church and a local church. Huge numbers. 
Because you've got all these opportunities in this technology today that, that they can access Christian truth, but they're not part of the real lifeblood of being around real people in real battle and real spiritual growth in a local church. But you know what? If you're really the Lord's, that should be an uncomfortable thing for you. Augustine, the ancient church theologian of the past with whom I, I have a lot of disagreements, but a number of things he, he, he pointed out that were true, he said this, a person cannot have God for his father who does not have the church for his mother. I, I thought it was interesting. When you come to him, you come to his people. When you come to the truth, you come to the people of the truth, and you can't just stay on your own. If you're in Christ, you want to be in church. And thirdly, it means the church is not a benefit-providing operation, but a Savior-following family. <laughs> Very important. So much of what we've done today in my generation of pastors, including this one for many years, created attractional Christian operations. We created organizations that we designed in our own image to accomplish what we thought were God's objectives, when in reality, God made one church. And we ought to get into his book to find out just how to be his church. We created a whole Christian generation that now attends church based on benefit provision. We talk to people about coming to our church, it almost feels like a job interview, and we're the ones being interviewed. Back in another part of my life when I wasn't in preaching ministry, you know I was involved in Christian broadcasting and was involved in it for years. And I was involved in the marketing side, then on the management side, and finally I was an on-air host for years. And I was involved in every dimension of it. And we were a stock, publicly traded company, Salem Media Group now, the largest Christian uh, uh, broadcasting company in America. And we would go into different cities and buy signals and add new stations. And when we did this, we always did market research. And I remember in the city where I was working in Sacramento, we were going to buy a, a third signal, which we were going to do. Uh, uh, it was a CCM, Contemporary Christian Music. That was the format. Before you buy the signal and get everything going, you research the market. And so we did the psychographics and the demographics, and we, re we researched the churches throughout that broadcast area, paid hundreds of thousands of dollars for this knowledge. And I'll never forget the meetings I was in when we talked about the churches in that region that we were going to broadcast to. We found out that at any one time, 20% of all the people in any church were looking for another church. 20% of the people in any church were looking for another church. I was shocked because I had been a pastor. And I thought, really? I always kind of felt something was going on. Now the statistics prove it. Didn't matter if it was a mega church or a mini church. It didn't matter. <laughs> didn't matter if it was a conservative, restructured, or a newly invented, progressive, anything goes that goes. They were all in this this phase of 20% of the people were looking for something else. And I realized it's because we become transactional with people about church instead of relational. What I mean by that is we allowed people to, to come to us with this sentence, I need such and such in my life, so I'll start going to your church if you provide such and such. No, we come to church to do what David said, to be transformed from glory to glory through the difficulty and the hardship, but also the blessing of being under the word taught, responded in my heart, and letting the Spirit shape me. This is the only place where that happens. And it doesn't happen when you come and say, as long as you give me this in my life, I will stay in your church. you got to get rid of that algebra. 
This is why one of our values is we want to strive to become a place of biblical community. We want to be a place where people can grow in Christ and be personally connected. Now, that's suffered a lot in the last few years. I'm honest about it. A survey was released last week that showed that through the COVID pandemic and all the related events that happened in the last two and a half years, the average evangelical church in America is down 20% in terms of the number of people in the room, number of people here. I think that's a valid statistic. Now, that means that an event occurred that that challenged the dimensions and the depth of, of, of how the church lives and what the church does. But the church is still the church, and it's a place where God created community to grow, and we've got a lot of rebuilding to do and also a lot of vision casting to do about ways in which people can find that place where they can be personally connected and be personally transformed. But the church has not changed. That's why I have vision and hope for her. There's a lot of work of rebuilding to do, and I admit that. But still, lives are changing. Decisions are still being made. The truth is still being preached, and God is still at work through the Holy Spirit. I really believe that. And I encourage you to stand in that with me. So, the church of Jesus Christ, (laughs) I'm still committed to her because of these two great reasons. You know, a a lot of times in life we ask ourselves at certain moments, how am I really spending my life? When I asked that of myself in younger days, really younger days, 20s, 30s, 40s, I would recommit to do some harder things. I'd look at my life and say, well, I want to work harder at my job and get promoted. Or I really want to develop some dimension of my life that'll give me greater, higher ability or whatever. But then you get older. And you're kind of past a lot of that. And instead of looking for how you can step into harder things, you ask about more meaningful things. How can I be involved in greater things for God in these years of my life and less for me? I can't think of any place on the planet where you can't involve yourself in both. The hardest things, following Christ. The greatest thing, becoming like Christ. That's what we're committed to here the highs and the lows, the things that need to get better. That's what we're committed to. I hope you'll be committed with me.